All right, New Vision family, it's time for the word of the Lord. I want to thank those of you who have been following us online for the past 12 weeks now in the midst of this pandemic. It's been my heart as a pastor to speak and communicate the heart of God. We know that in this hour we must be prophetic. The word prophecy simply means to speak the mind, the heart, the agency, and the will of God concerning an, a matter. So each and every message has been strategic from the moment we had to leave because of COVID-19 through the most difficult times of this pandemic. And now as we deal with cultural unrest, I pray that you would posture yourself to receive what God is going to speak in this moment. If you have your Bibles, I want you to grab them. If you're distracted right now at home, and I know exactly what that is like, I want you to just pause whatever you're doing so that you can really lean in and hear and receive what God is going to say. What we're going to talk about over the next few weeks, I believe, is strategic for the body of Christ at large. So there might be some of you pastors and believers from other congregations who are tuning in. My prayer is that this message will bless you and move you to a place of action and sustainability as we seek to deal with the issues and the problems of our society. So, Father, I pray that you would speak right now, that you would use me as your vessel, that you would use me as your mouthpiece and your messenger. Father, I decrease so that you may increase. I pray, Father, that the Holy Spirit would bring revelation through me that connects with the hearts and the minds of each and every person who is watching. Father, I pray that you would speak today with precision and speak with power. We thank you for your presence, which we know is already here. Now, Lord, make manifest your glory through greater understanding. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Today, I want to begin a new series entitled Rebuild. And as you know, we are in the midst of very difficult times. The world is in an uproar because of the injustices of police brutality and systematic racism. There are many voices that are being raised in this hour, many people speaking up and using their influence, using their platform, using their passion to make a change. And I want to say publicly that I'm grateful for each and every voice that stands for justice. I'm grateful for each and every voice that is willing to take a risk to stand for what is right, especially those who are putting their bodies on the front line in protest. I've been watching this thing for enough time to know that most of the people who are on the front lines, they are there with pure intentions. They simply want to see a just society where people are treated fairly and equally. I've seen this movement on the ground and you see not only black people, but you see white people, you see brown people, you see men, you see women, you see believers and non-believers, but they are all standing for the principle that human life is valuable regardless of your skin color and especially if you're black. And so I want to say that there are people who are called to the front lines and we need to continue to pray their strength in the midst of violence from some law enforcement issues. And I want to thank those law enforcement issues who are standing up and saying that what they see is wrong and who are making decisions to go against the grain and stand for what is right. Everyone has a voice. Everyone has a responsibility. And whenever you have a movement, there are different roles and different lanes that people must run in. The key is everybody knowing their role and playing their part. We've got to know what our role is in this economy of change. You've got to have a sense of what God has called you to do. And when you get a sense of what God has called you to do, 
then you must be moved by your conviction and your conscience based on what he has called and compelled you to do. And when everybody knows their role and plays their part, then all of the pieces work together for the good. The problem comes when we begin to criticize parts of the movement that we do not understand. Sometimes because we're different, we use that as a point of division rather than realizing that our diversity is actually a part of the formula. Realizing that you need people on the front lines, standing, but you also need people who are holding down the home front and each one must be compelled according to their conscience. And part of the way that we move forward is not criticizing that person because they're not doing what we're doing, but perhaps considering that there is a divine reason why they're in a place and a position that they are in. Here's the mystery of the collective revealed in Scripture. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 18. The Scripture says, But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. Verse 21 says that the eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. The eye can't say to the hand that, that, that you're useless and you're not performing your function. The eye and the hand are very different. Watch this. They're made up of the same materials, essentially. They're part of the same body, but they have very different functions. So according to Scripture, when we see the body of Christ, there is a strategy in our difference and our diversity, and each part is supposed to play their role and we should spend less time criticizing other parts and more time making sure that we're doing what we are called to do in the position that God has given us. Everybody must know their role. Everyone must play their part. So while some are holding protest, others have to hold it down at home. Sometimes in a household, the husband or the wife is called to go to the front lines, but somebody's got to watch the kids. Somebody's got to make sure that the kids have an environment of safety and peace because we have not only a responsibility to stand on the front lines, but we also have a responsibility to raise our kids in the fear and the admonition of the Lord and to make sure that they are able to grow up and to be developed in their own character and be successful. And that is a worthy cause just as it is a worthy cause to be on the front lines, but discernment is understanding where you're supposed to be, at what time, and for what season. While some are called to dismantle oppressive systems, Others are called to develop progressive systems. Some are called to dismantle oppressive systems. And there are reforms that are being launched forward concerning police officers. And I agree that the system needs to be reformed. I agree that no one should be above the law. And if you're wearing a badge, you should be even more submitted to the rule of law because you took an oath and you were supposed to be doing what you're doing out of an honor and out of respect for the office that you have been placed in. No one should be above the law and everyone should be able to navigate the justice system and navigate it in a fair way. 
So there are some who are saying we need to dismantle uh, these destructive systems and they are called to stand and speak to politicians and they are called to go down to City Hall and to go to their state governments and to go to their federal governments and lobby and to make sure that the voices that are least represented are heard. People are called to dismantle oppressive systems. but, But I want you to see that while they're dismantling oppressive systems, that some of us are called to build progressive systems. They're called to dismantle, we're called to develop. Uh, Others are called to build systems and to build programs and to build cultures and to sustain cultures that can promote life and promote well-being and promote economic involvement and promote all the things that are necessary so that once the protests are over, you can come back to something that's still moving and still grooving to the glory of God. Both are forms of protest on different ends of the spectrum, but they both have a place in the movement. So for the next few weeks, I feel called to talk about rebuilding from the lens of Nehemiah. Now, here's what we know about Nehemiah. We know that he's living far from his hometown in Jerusalem. He works for Artaxerxes, who is the king of Persia. And Nehemiah has the very important role of being a cupbearer in the king's court. However, one day he got some bad news. Have you ever just been minding your business, living your life, doing your thing, raising your kids, going to work, and you got a call that changed everything for you? You got a call about a tragedy that happened in your hometown. You got a call about something that happened to a family member, something that occurred, and and this bit of news wrecked you. It it disrupted your regularly scheduled programming. This is the type of call that Nehemiah got. You can see it in Nehemiah 1, chapter 2. It says that Hananiah, one of my brothers, y'all, one of his brothers, one of his brothers, hit him up. Yo, Nehemiah, did you hear what happened? He came to visit with some other men who had arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned from captivity and how things were going in Jerusalem. In other words, how things going back home? What's happening in my home city? And they said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. And the scripture says that when Nehemiah heard this, he sat down and he wept. In fact, the scripture says that Nehemiah mourned and fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. So for part one of this series, I want to take a subtitle, A Time to Mourn. We are rebuilding, but we're recognizing that right now this is a time to mourn. And whenever someone is untreated or treated unfairly or abused, it should hurt our heart. Whenever someone is treated unfairly or abused, it should do something to us internally. And the danger of today's media-driven society is that we can get desensitized to the devastation and destruction that surrounds us. But I pray we never get calloused are cold, that we never get to the point that we don't at least acknowledge the pain of other people. And it's difficult because we live in this 24-7 news cycle where all you hear is bad news. All you see shared on your social media page is more bad news. And I get it. Sometimes you can get compassion fatigue 
and you can get numbed because it seems like all you see is bad news instead of seeing good news. And sometimes we develop protective mechanisms to keep our mind and to keep our spirit strong in the midst of so much calamity. And yes, we should have hope. I'm a person that believes in hope. Even this week, I made a decision. I was only going to share things that brought hope. But listen, just because I was sharing things that brought hope doesn't mean that I was ignoring the fact that there's still destruction and despair. I made a decision that I wasn't going to share anything that was going to trigger somebody and cause them to move into more despair. Though I saw things, I chose not to share them. But as I watch some of the videos, my heart continues to break for the way that people are being treated. And we can never get too calloused and too cold towards the pain of other people. But, but this was even deeper for Nehemiah because this was his city. And this was his people. See, there are a million causes in the world. There are a million things to be in an uproar regarding. There are a million systematic evils that at any given point in time, people could be fighting against. That's why you have to know your calling. That's why you have to know your role. Because no one person can take on everything. No one person can challenge every system and call out every injustice. No one person can do it. But if we all have a calling and we all have a burden, and if we all know where we are commissioned to go and what we are commissioned to do, then piece by piece, person by person, we can see progress. But this was special for Nehemiah because it hit home. Because this was his family. This was his whole town. This was, this, these were people that he grew up with. These were people that looked like him and had the same culture. And when you have a burden for people, when you have a burden for a community, you can't shake it. You can't shake it. Let me suggest to you that if you have a burden for some injustice and you can't shake it, then maybe, just maybe, God is calling you and commissioning you to step into that space and to be used by him to make a change and to make a difference. Nehemiah had a burden that he could not shake. It went beyond him just feeling sorry for his community. But the scripture says it interrupted his schedule and he got to a place where he mourned and he fasted and he prayed for days. And I know that there are people who have been so hurt and so traumatized by what's going on in the world and the images and the videos that they've seen. I've heard people say that I just couldn't stop crying after watching that video. They've expressed that my heart has been heavy, that there's been a weight on my shoulders, that I'm going to work, but I can't perform at the level that I'm called to perform because it's weighing so heavy on my heart. If you're a believer in Christ, your next step should be, Lord, show me why I have this burden. Lord, show me what I'm called to do. Lord, show me where I'm called to go. Show me how I'm called to make a difference. Am I supposed to make a donation? Am I supposed to go on the front lines? Am I supposed to send food and supplies? Am I supposed to do something in my local community? Lord, show me why this burden will not leave my heart. And the problem with the church is that many of us have lost our burden. Oh, we want to come and we want to shout and we want to gather and we want to do the church thing and the religious thing. But what happens when your religious rhythms are interrupted? And now you have to sit with your conscience and ask yourself questions like, what is my greater purpose? What am I called to do beyond just gathering on a Sunday morning? God is still raising up missionaries. Sometimes they go halfway across the world and sometimes they go halfway across the city. 
Sometimes they are called to establish the gospel in foreign lands. And sometimes they're called to start organizations and to start nonprofits and to become mentors and to become people who speak life instead of death. In this hour, God is calling us to have a burden. And your burden ought to be more than just trying to get rich and die. Your burden ought to be more than just trying to build your own little kingdom. Because let me tell you something about systematic injustice. Systematic injustice will take what you built for 40 years and discard it and destroy it. If you don't deal with the root of evil and systems, then we'll never see generations be blessed. And when I read the scripture, I read that I'm called to be blessed, to be a blessing. After the model of Abraham, God just doesn't bless an individual so that you can be balling. You are blessed so that you can help somebody else. So the question is, where's your burden? And and, and when you have a burden as a believer, there is a process that you have to go through to investigate that burden. See, see, there are some who got upset and, and because they didn't have a process, Because they didn't have a higher power. Because they didn't have a philosophy rooted in the scriptures. Their first instinct was to go and pick up a brick. Their first instinct was to go and to riot. Their first instinct was to say, I'm no longer dealing with any white people. I'm just angry and I don't want to hear from nobody. I don't want to talk to nobody. Their their first instinct was to do something that we would describe as Christians as acting in the flesh. But, But as believers, we don't have that luxury. Because everything for us is filtered through the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are constrained by this great gospel. We are constrained by the word of God. And even though we feel a certain type of way, we can't stay feeling a certain type of way. But because we follow the way with a capital W, before they called it Christianity, they called it the way. The the early saints that were martyred and persecuted, they were persecuted for following the way. There is a way because we follow the way and at the top of that way is Yahweh. And when you know Yahweh and you have a relationship with Yahweh, it is Yahweh who directs what highway you go down. So when you have a burden and you can't shake it, I'm talking to believers right now. And those of you who are watching, if you don't believe in Jesus, this is a Jesus Holy Ghost party. So I'm talking to Christian Believers, but you can get down, you can get in. All you got to do is confess him as Lord and Savior, believe in your heart, confess with your mouth. You can be a part of this. Because let me tell you something about this. This has been an action agent of change over the course of history. Don't let people talk to you about what the church hasn't done. Yes, there are factions of the church that have let us down, that don't represent the heart of the gospel. But let me tell you about action and community development. The church has always been at the heart and at the center of that. They've always been Holy Ghost, Spirit-filled people on the front lines, risking everything for the cause of Christ in their community. Let me remind you that it is the Holy Spirit, believers, who guides us and directs us. So we have a burden that you can't shake. I want to give you a blueprint for social breakthrough. A blueprint for social breakthrough. For those of you who feel called and compelled, you're saying, Lord, what am I supposed to do? If you're a believer in Christ, I want to give you a blueprint for social breakthrough. Here's number one, mourn. Number two, fast. Number three, pray. When you have a burden, here's your blueprint. Mourn, fast, and pray. Mourn fast, and pray. And in the spirit realm, these are tools for protest. 
See, when you protest, you have to have a philosophy for your approach. And there are many philosophies as to how you affect change. And when we live in a free society, people are free to pursue whatever their modality is as long as it doesn't infringe on the rights of other people. But, but, but if you're going to be effective, you need to have a philosophy attached to your platform. And for us, it comes from the power of the gospel. That's how we move as Christian believers. So, so we've got to have an approach. We've got to have a methodology. And for us, it starts with mourning, fasting, and praying. Let's walk through this. The scripture indicates that Nehemiah mourned. Many times movement begins with mourning. See, some of us weren't compelled until we saw the graphic imagery and it broke our heart and we mourned collectively with the rest of society because something within us said, that's not right. And we have a groundswell because enough people now, millions, not just in America, but across the world have said, that's not right. And so a movement has been sparked by mourning. Sometimes you have to see the ugly truth and the reality and you have to mourn it and grieve it enough to move you. This was a watershed moment with George Floyd. And, and we never know why God chooses the people that he chooses. But we see all throughout scripture, God selects a person to be a catalyst for a moment or a movement. You may not like the person. You may not know the person. You may not agree with the background of the person, but you can't deny what God does through that person. And so somehow, some way, this man who nobody knew now has become the hashtag for a movement to reveal the ugliness of America. And it's causing people to mourn. And it's causing people to say his name and to say the name of other men who have died to police brutality and to say the name of other women who have died to police brutality. It's causing people to look at the world differently because of their mourning. They say we must do something. There is a time to mourn. Folks, you need to know that mourning is okay. We, we try to share this when we have funerals and we have to bury people's family members. We make it clear that grieving and mourning is a part of life. If you don't mourn, you'll blow up. If you don't mourn properly, then, then everything will well up inside of you and, and manifest itself in destructive behavior. There are different types of of mourning, different ways to mourn. The word to mourn, the technical definition, it means to grieve, to feel sadness, and to express it through vocalizations, through tears, and through ritual. See, people express their pain in different ways. Some people shout, some people get tired, some people go inward, but everyone needs to process and mourn. I was watching one of the memorial services for George Floyd. I believe this one was in North Carolina. And at this particular service, they mourned through shouting. A praise break erupted in the memorial service as they began to exhort the goodness of God in the midst of their suffering, in the midst of death. There is a perspective of the believer that we don't grieve as people without hope. Especially when we die in Christ, there is an eternal hope that drives us. So even in our mourning, we have joy. Can I tell you that there's a way for you to mourn and still have joy? There's a way for you to mourn and feel grief but not lose your mind. There's a way for you to mourn and not slip into the darkness of despair because if you slip into the darkness of despair and depression, then you're no help to nobody. God needs you to mourn with your right mind. 
God needs you to mourn with a sober conscience and a sober mind because at some point the Holy Spirit needs to be able to speak to you and the Holy Spirit's not going to compete with the alcohol and the weed that's in your system because you have no better way to cope with life. Listen, when you understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, when you understand the power of the Holy Spirit, when you begin to believe what the scriptures teach and you have a whole community of people backing you up, supporting you, it changes the way that you mourn. And I want to speak to those of you who have fallen into such a place of despair. I'm here to tell you that you don't have to stay there. And I don't know, you've experienced trauma and micro trauma and microaggressions and you feel triggered. But let me tell you something about my people. I'm unapologetically black, if you couldn't tell. I'm black and I'm Christian. I love the skin that I'm in. And let me tell you something about our people. We are some of the most resilient people you will ever meet. You don't survive 400 years of slavery and Jim Crow and oppression to get to this point and fold up and die and say, I can't take it no more. Express your frustration. Get it out, but wipe your tears and ask the Lord to be your strength. And you want to know why our community has been so resilient? Because we put our trust in the rock that's higher than I. There is a faith that is in the backbone of those who trust in their Lord. And that's what sustains us. And that's what keeps us. And that's what propels us to do what we do. It's okay to be frustrated. It's okay to be angry. But sin not. (laughs) It's okay to mourn. But sin not. We have to keep our flesh in check. No matter how we feel. No matter what we feel, we have to keep our flesh in check. This isn't an hour, saints, for you to lay down your religion. That's one of the worst phrases that's ever been adopted into Christianity. You know, when somebody cuts you off, when somebody on your job keeps on messing with you, keeps on, keeps on tossing subs on you, keeps on CCing you on emails, talking about you like you ain't on the email, People keep on saying stuff about you, little dog whistles and little underlining stuff, and, and you get to a point where you say, well, you're going to make me lay down my religion. That's the most carnal, ghetto, ratchet. That ain't righteousness, that's ratchetness. Because the Christianity that I ascribe to is not something I can take off and put back on. It is who I am because my identity, I know who I am. My identity, I am a son I am a daughter of the king. I know who my father is. I am royalty. I'm a royal priesthood, a chosen generation. And royalties act, royals act a certain type of way. I'm not going to decrease my spiritual authority by coming down to your level and doing something that's beneath my pedigree. So we got to stop taking off our religion and putting it back on. That's why the world looks at us and laughs. Because they say y'all can't even be consistent in your own worldview. The world will respect consistently, consistency. They will consistently respect consistency. They may not like you, but they got to respect you. Because they know that what you say is what you mean. And they're looking for people who have conviction. Because they have their own convictions. But we as Christians got to have our own convictions. And we can agree to disagree, but we got to be consistent. So we can't allow our flesh to get the best of us in this hour. Can't allow our flesh to cause us to not see the spirit clearly. So we start off with mourning. But mourning should push us 
to fasting if we have a burden. If there's such a heaviness on our heart, then we must use a spiritual method to discern what God wants us to do in the natural. As believers, it continues with fasting. Can I share something with you? If there's something in your life that you just can't shake, if there's some issue that you just can't seem to get clarity regarding, then you need to learn the technique of fasting. Fasting is when we push away the plate. Fasting is when we deny ourselves food and meals and, 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 and pleasures of our flesh in order to really hear from God. And when you fast, you push away the food so that you can get the food. Jesus said the man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And sometimes you don't need another hamburger. That's part of your problem. You stay in the pantry rather than in your prayer closet. You don't need an Uber Eats. You need to seek the face of the Lord. And sometimes we have to interrupt our patterns with our body and we have to pull away and we have to stop eating so that we can increase our sensitivity to what God is saying. And a fast will clear all of the junk out of your flesh so that you can hear from God clearly. Fasting is connected to consecration. Fasting and consecration. Fasting is when you literally abstain from food. Technically, you cannot fast if it doesn't have something to do with food. So you can't just say I'm on a social media fast and you aren't pushing away the plate. There's something that happens physiologically and spiritually when your body has to go through the process of being broken down so that God can build you back up again. So fasting is directly connected to food, but consecration deals with what we put into our heart, what we put into our minds, and what we put into our spirits. Consecration means that you need to turn Facebook off for a season. Consecration means that you need to turn off Fox News and you need to turn off CNN and you need to stop scrolling incessantly on Instagram and on TikTok and you need to push away all those other voices so that you can zone in on one voice and that is the voice of God. Consecration and fasting. Nehemiah said, you know what? This burden is so strong. I need to, I need to fast. I need to fast. So he fasted after he mourned. But then after he mourned and fasted, the scripture says that he prayed. We mourn, we fast, and we pray. Here's what you got to understand, that there is no progress in the earth without prayers lifted to heaven. And for the believer, prayer is not passive, but it is aggressive. In fact, according to New Testament scripture, prayer is an act of spiritual warfare. Let me clear something up for you. There is a passive way to use prayer as an excuse not to act. And we see it all the time. My thoughts and my prayers are with you. We're not talking about that type of prayer. We're not talking about the type of prayer that you say to people when they ask you for something, you say, well, I'm praying about it. You know how we do. We use prayer as a, as a procrastination tool. Tell the truth, shame the devil. People ask you, can you do something? Well, let me pray about it. We just use and misuse the spirit. Let me pray about it. You've been praying about it for seven years. No, no, you just didn't want to do it, and prayer became a convenient buffer in your language, but because you don't have the lifestyle of prayer, you didn't actually pray about it. You were just trying to find a way to get out of it. And we cannot use prayer as a shield to guard us from actually having to move and do what God is calling us to do. Prayer is not passive. Prayer is aggressive. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 3 says, for we walk 
according to the flesh. Though we walk in the flesh, watch this, we do not war according to the flesh. In other words, we are flesh and blood. We are people made of flesh and blood. We walk in the flesh, but we do not war according to the flesh. Verse 4 says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, the casting down of arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Prayer is a weapon. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Ephesians chapter 6 says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against wickedness, against rulers in high places. Stop getting mad simply at police officers and start getting mad at the systematic wickedness that operates in some of them through the systems that have perpetuated. We have to get to the root. Stop just saying that you don't like white people. And start praying for the systematic blindness or the systematic issues that keep them in a place of not loving their neighbor as themselves. For the believer, everything has spiritual roots and we pray against the spirit. If you want to chop down the tree, you got to get to the roots. Stop hacking at the branch. Get to the roots. The roots are always spiritual. So in this hour, we must raise up intercessors. People who pray that the roots of unrighteousness be ripped up from the earth and ripped up from our communities. Prayer is aggressive. Prayer is a matter of spiritual warfare. Prayer will pull down strongholds. Prayer will cast down arguments. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. There are red things that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. There are blue things that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. There are conservative viewpoints that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. There are liberal viewpoints that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. And if you're going to be true and speak truth to power, call a spade a spade. Whatever it is, pull it down. There are some things that my people do that are wrong. Pull it down. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty for the pulling down of strongholds. Prayer pulls down strongholds. Before it comes down in the natural, it's got to come down in the spiritual. You have to get understanding and reconnaissance regarding what you're attacking. If you don't know what you're attacking or where it is, then you can't deal with it. You're just wasting time and energy. But I'm so grateful for the scriptures because there's a story about a man named Elisha. And Elisha had the supernatural ability to hear from God concerning the movement of his opposition. There were enemies of the children of Israel and Elijah could hear from God and God would literally show Elisha what the king was going to do, when he was going to do it. The God revealed all of the military plans of the king of his opposition. And Elisha would go from one place to the next. And the king on the other side of the conflict said, which one of y'all is snitching? Where's the rat? Where's the informant in our midst? Because every time we go to attack the people, they're not there. And somebody says, there's a prophet named Elisha. And this guy is so in tune with his God that he hears what you're saying in your bathroom. Elisha had the supernatural ability to discern the movement of the enemy. And you need to know that when you pray, 
God can show you how the enemy is working. He can show you the systems that are at work. He can show you how to strike and not waste your resources. He'll tell you where to show up. He'll tell you where to go. He'll tell you which legislator to talk to, which one to invest your time and energy. He'll show you the people you need to dust off, shake off the dust. Don't deal with them. You're not going to get anywhere. God can send you to the capital and supernaturally guide you to the door you need to go to to speak to the person that you need to speak to if you believe in the power of prayer. So prayer is strategic. Prayer is spiritual warfare. And that's what we need in this hour. Mourn, fast, and pray. You need a strategy. But the strategy comes from heaven. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As it is in heaven. As it is in heaven. When I see police officers pushing 75-year-old men down and then nobody. I mean, I just want you to think about how systematic wickedness can be and, and, and listen to me. I'm mature enough to know that sometimes you have good people in demonic systems. But to me, that's demonic. You're telling me there was nothing within one of those officers to break rank and to... Minister Tanya, how old are you? I remember one day, remember when you fell over there? <laughs> to be at that age and to fall back without any bracing? Remember, we prayed that you would be okay, and you were. I was concerned. But when you fell, people rushed. Because instinctively, when you see the poor, the vulnerable, the needy, anyone in humanity fall, there has to be an instinct not to put your knee on their neck when they're down. But there ought to be an instinct to pick them up. There ought to be an instinct to pick them up. There ought to be an instinct to help and to not hurt. Contrast that with another video. It's nothing to laugh about, but I think it shows the power of people calling out wrong. There was another video. There was another protest, and these were young people. And there was an officer who was engaging with some, some black men. And behind him, there was a black woman with her hands up, kneeling on the ground. And he turned around, and out of frustration, he pushed and shoved her. She didn't do nothing to him. But there were two black women officers who lit into him. And you can see them on video. I mean, they pushed him back. I mean, you saw their hands going because they said, uh, no, 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 we're going to do our job, but we're not going to do that. There must be people who stand up and say, you know what? Enough is enough. I'm bringing honor back to what this should be and what it should look like. The devastation is still happening. But I believe that God is raising up a generation of people who will build, who will rebuild. You might have a burden today. Like Nehemiah, you're looking at the walls. They're, born, they're burned. Your community is devastated. And you're tired of seeing the same thing. Let me suggest to you that prayer is a weapon. Praise is a weapon morning, fasting, praying. These are all tools of protest. Go through your process. 
But at the end of your process, you need to find God. When you find God, you find strategy. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God wants to bring heaven on earth. My point with those two illustrations is that that's not heaven on earth. That's hell on earth. And we may not be able to deal with every single ill and every single systematic issue, but listen, this is what we call a watershed moment where the earth is moaning and groaning and we must hear, we must be sensitive to what's happening in the moment. And we need to pray that the issues that are legitimate issues, that they get addressed, that they get dealt with. And I believe that when we pray into that, this will contribute to the revival that we desire to see in our churches. Because there's no revival without righteousness. There's no revival without justice. In fact, when the righteous are in rule, the city rejoices. Father, I thank you for the time that we spent today. I thank you for how you are teaching us how to rebuild. Let this word reverberate in our hearts and in our minds. And Father, we pray that we'll continue down this path, that we'll be stronger, that we'll be savvy, that we'll be strategic, and that we'll see the walls that have been burned down built back up. In Jesus' name, amen.